Chelsea uh, chose that Saturday, and that's okay because Sunday's the day after, and we're still worshiping the Lord anyway. So anyway, let's uh, have a great service the rest of the way. And Zach, come on. I can call him Zach. He's Pastor Zach. He is, uh, have you all been enjoying his mes messages? A good deal. Let's continue to pray that he keeps receiving them. Amen. Well, it's always good to be able to bring the word on Sunday. It's good to gather with everybody. Um, also, just real, uh, really brief, uh, fresh water. It's uh, the worship night that we do over at the Rogers Theater. That's going to be uh, Friday, April 14th. So if you're interested, Friday, April 14th. So, uh, so come on out. It's going to start at 7. So doors open. I'm about to sneeze. I can feel it. Watermelon. You guys ever heard of that church? You say watermelon, you don't sneeze. Also, if you have the hiccups, so, uh, this, is, this happens like 50% of the time. If you have hiccups, just say <coughs> very seriously, I am not a fish. It's the weirdest thing, but it works. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I am not a fish. I don't know if it's that you're concentrating on something else really specific or what the, what the Jedi mind trick is with that, but it works about 50% of the time. So I don't know if I'm just not concentrating so much on it or whatever the deal is, but my, we joke about that in my office with, uh, with my admin at, at, the, uh, at the college. Sometimes I'll just sit there and I'll hear her go, I am not a fish. I am not a fish. <laughs> kind of lean over from my screen. You okay over there? <laughs> yes, I don't have the hiccups anymore. <laughs> I was like, that's great. So that was free. That wasn't a part of my message, so you're welcome for that. Um, so yeah, Freshwater Friday, April 14th. Uh, that's going to be a great time. We usually have a, a fantastic opportunity to come together with other people in the community and be able to worship together. I think it's important that we are able to be the body of Christ, not just here in this building, but also outside of this building. And that's a wonderful opportunity to gather intentionally with other people from other places uh, and be able to worship God with one another. So come on out to that. It's always a, always a fun opportunity to do so. Um, so today, uh, we're going to be going over a passage. This is Palm Sunday. Uh, the, the subtitle of this is Jesus is King. Everybody know that, right? Yeah? Okay. Good. I'm in the right place. Uh, in 2 Kings, I'm going to start off first in 2 Kings chapter 9. Uh, we're going we're gonna to toggle back and forth between, between two separate passages. I want to camp out in the Old Testament for a minute, and then we're going to jump into the New Testament, because I feel like there's some pretty good significance that we could learn and draw from as we as we check out some passages because if you're if you're used to or if you've been around church for a while you understand that palm sunday is always a sunday that comes before easter that jesus has this uh this process in uh, in scripture where he is is telling that he is going to go to uh, go to the cross and he's going to be crucified that he's going to die telling people yes i will die and then uh then i will raise from the grave three days later telling people this on numerous occasions we see that in uh, the passage we're getting ready to go to, um, he declares this uh, towards the tail end of Matthew 21 uh, for the third time. It says, if you have any headings or subheadings in your, in your Bible, you'll notice that it says, Jesus says, uh, announces that he will die for the third time. And so it's the third time that he told them um, from the passage that we're going to look at, that he was going to go and, uh, and, and die and then be raised from the grave. And so you're used to being able to come to church week before Easter, you're prepared. This is going to be Palm Sunday, more than likely. We're going to have some kind of message that goes through that. And, uh, and you're like, okay, cool. This is just what we do. But why on earth did people lay down uh, palm branches? 
what was the significance between there? If you, if you do any kind of reading, either in your, uh, maybe your Bible will have some footnotes, or if you look at, maybe you read on Bible Gateway, or maybe the YouVersion app, you read through the Bible, you'll notice that there are little, uh, little letters that you can click on, and it'll kind of pop out and give you a couple cross-references and let you know that, hey, this passage actually connects to this other passage in the Bible. It's a really cool tool to use if you, uh, you want to do some extra studies and you want to learn a little bit more about certain passages that you're going through. Uh, just look up and see where that correlates, and you'll find out that the Bible is very connected from, from start to finish, that there are many, 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 many different ways. Jordan Peterson calls it the first hyperlinked book that there ever was. So it, it has many, many different connections all the way through where it points to specific passages and other different places in Scripture. So um, if you notice, um, by reading through in Matthew chapter 21, which we'll get to, uh, there is a little footnote that exists right by the place where they start to lay down their palm branches so that Jesus can come across on the donkey. And that footnote is where we're actually going to go to this morning first, so that we can see kind of the cor correlation between this pronouncement of Jesus as being king. So 2 Kings chapter 9, um, we're going to talk about a guy named Jehu. Everybody say Jehu. Jehu. Jehu was a very important man in Israel's history. He was alive during the time of two pretty gnarly characters, Ahab and Jezebel. Anybody heard about those guys before? Yeah, pretty gnarly characters. Ahab and Jezebel. Um, there's lots to be talked about. They're probably two of the most talked about rulers of Israel next to David. It's pretty significant. Those are two people that are talked about quite a bit, and they are usually talked about in the context of being evil. There's, a, there's even spirits that have been kind of coined after those two characters, the spirit of Ahab and the spirit of Jezebel. That doesn't mean that they only existed at the time of Jezebel and Ahab. That just means that that's a great representation of what the enemy is trying to do through manipulation through both of those types of characters. And so it's just a signifying aspect of these types of spirits. And so let's read here. So 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 1, he says, The prophet Elisha summoned a man from the company of the prophets and said to him, Tuck your cloak into your belt. Take this flask of olive oil with you and go to Ramoth Gilead. When you get there, look for Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi. Go to him, get him away from his companions, and take him into an inner room. Then take the flask and pour the oil on his head and declare, this is what the Lord says, I anoint you king over Israel. This, is, this part's so funny. Then open the door and run. Don't delay. How many of you guys have ever seen anybody stand up and, and give a word that they feel like the Lord has given them, and then they just sprint off, and that's it. They're just gone. <laughs> it just, this is what the Lord says. You're king over Israel. Gone. That's what, that's what Elisha told this guy to do. So the young prophet went to Ramoth Gilead. When he arrived, he found the army officers sitting together. I have a message for you, commander, he said. For which of us? asked Jehu. For you, commander, he replied. Jehu got up and went into the house. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, 
and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like the, the house of Basha, son of Ahia. As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and ran. When Jehu went out, of his, uh, went out to his fellow officers, one of them asked, uh, Is everything all right? Why did this maniac come to you? You know the man and the sort of things he says, Jehu replied. That's not true, they said. Tell us. Jehu said, Here is what the Lord told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under, uh, under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. I'm going to skip over. Ah, I'm just kidding. We're going to read. We have some time. This is good. Everybody like the word? Sweet. So verse 14, so Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, son of uh, Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram and all Israel had been defending Ramoth Gilead against Haziel, king of Aram. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds of the Arameans and inflicted on him in the battle with Haziel, king of Aram. So this guy was, was wounded. And Jehu said, if you desire to make me king, don't let anyone slip out of the city to go and tell the news in Jezreel. Then he got into his chariot and rode to Jezreel. Because Joram was resting there, and Ahaziah, the king of Judah, had gone down to see him. When the lookout standing on the tower in Jezreel saw Jehu's troops approaching, he called out, <laughs> I see some troops coming. Get a horseman, Joram ordered. Send him to meet them and ask, do you come in peace? So this guy was already nervous. He, there was something about these guys coming into town that made him very nervous. So the horseman rode off to meet Jehu and said, this is what the king says. Do you come in peace? <laughs> Jehu's awesome. He says, what do you have to do with peace? Fall behind me. The lookout reported, uh, the messenger has reached them, but he isn't coming back. <laughs> so the king sent out a second horseman. When he came to them, he said, this is what the king says. Do you come in peace? Jehu, again, like the baller that he is, said, what do you have to do with peace? Fall in behind me. The lookout reported, he has reached them, but he isn't coming back either. The driving is like that of Jehu, son of Nimshi. He drives like a maniac. Hitch up my chariot, Joram ordered. And when he was hitching up, Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, rode out, each in his own chariot, to meet Jehu. They met him at the plot of ground that had belonged to Nebuch of uh, the Jezreel. When Joram saw Jehu, he asked, have you come in peace, Jehu? How can there be peace? Listen to this. This is super important. How can there be peace, Jehu replied, as long as the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel abound? Joram turned about and fled, calling out to Ahaziah, treachery, Ahaziah. Then Jehu drew his bow and shot Joram between his shoulders. The arrow pierced his heart and he slumped down his chariot. Jehu and Bidkar, these names are amazing, aren't they? 
his chariot officer, he told him, uh, pick him up and throw him on the field that belongs to Nabot, the Jezreelite. Remember how you and I were riding together in the chariots behind Ahab, his father, when the Lord spoke this prophecy against him. Yesterday I saw the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, declares the Lord. And I will surely make you pay for it on this plot of ground, declares the Lord. Now then, pick him up and throw him on the plot in accordance with the word of the Lord. When Ahaziah, king of Judah, saw what happened, he fled up the road to Beth Hagen. Jehu chased him, shouting, kill him too! They wounded him and his chariot on the way up to, to Gur, to Ibleam, but he escaped to Megiddo and died there. His servants took him by the chariot to Jerusalem and buried him with his ancestors in his tomb in the city of David. Verse 30. This is, this is where it's amazing, and we're almost done with this passage. Then Jehu went to Jezreel. When Jezebel heard about it, she put on eye makeup, arranged her hair, and looked out a window. That, that's such an interesting detail to put in scripture of what she did. Have you ever thought about that when you're reading? It's like she didn't just want to like look out and pay attention to what was happening. She was like, hold up one second. I'm going to put this eye makeup on real quick. I'm going to fix my hair. Then I'm going to look outside. But remember, Jezebel was also a figure that was very manipulative and very conniving in the way that she would not only present herself because she seduced um, the king in order to get into cahoots with the way that she was wanting to, to run and enslave Israel in the way that she did by bringing idolatry into the land. And so she used her appearance to manipulate people into doing whatever it was that she wanted to do. Also, the, the, the type of idolatry that she walked into was very sexual in nature. And so it highlighted and emphasized the ability to be able to manipulate people in a way that was very impure and unclean. Something that would overcome their logic and their reason because she would try to manipulate them by the way that she appeared. So she wanted to do this before she even had a conversation. So after she looked at the window in verse 31, it says this. As Jehu entered the gate, she asked, have you come in peace? You Zimri, you murderer of your master. She tried to cut him down to make him feel horrible about what he did. The first conversation, first things that came out of her mouth. He looked up at, at the window and he called out. He didn't even talk to her. He was like, I'm not even saying a word to you. He said, who's on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked down at him. Throw her down, Jehu said. <laughs> so they threw her down. And some of her blood splattered on the wall and the horses as they trampled her underfoot. Jehu went in and ate and drank. Take care of that cursed woman, he said, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. But when they went out to bury her, they found nothing except her skull, her feet, and her hands. They went back and told Jehu, who said, This is the word of the Lord that spoke through the servant Elijah the Tishbite. On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh. Jezebel's body will be like dung on the ground in the plot at Jezreel, so that no one will be able to say, this is Jezebel. This is a really dark passage to read, Zach. Why do we do this for Palm Sunday? <laughs> because it's in the Bible, first and foremost, okay? This is not a, a rated G book right here, okay? This is a very, very explicit book that has lots of different things that happened in people's lives and the way that they ruled and the way that they, they lived out their emphasis on praising the Lord with their lives. And so, this is why this passage is important. Of course, we have the emphasis where the Lord appointed Jehu as the king of Israel, fed up with the way that, that things have been going with Israel. 
to the point to where now this activity by this king was going to set the people of Israel free from the idolatry that had once ruled so feverishly in the land. I'm going to emphasize this real quick and then we'll move on to the next passage and then I'll tie it all in together. But I love that I love that Jehu didn't even say a word to Jezebel. He didn't try to dialogue with manipulation. He didn't try to reason with Jezebel. He didn't try to do something specific to make her feel better and try to coerce her into thinking rightly about what's going on. She had lived years and 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 years, and years of blatant disrespect and, and, uh, and misleading and misdirection for the people of Israel to actually worship God in the way that, that they were called to. And so he wasn't even dealing with that. He, his assignment was to go and destroy the work of the enemy. That was his assignment, first and foremost. And so he wasn't even going to play with, with Jezebel and her manipulation. She put on her makeup and even fixed her hair to try to draw in a further conversation with Jehu. But Jehu was having nothing of it. He, he bypassed her and said, who up there is on my side? Who? And even the people, the eunuchs that were in her camp, in her court, realized that this is something, and, and I don't know if they, um, if, if what kind of thoughts they had before because we're, we're not given their complete thoughts or diary of, of how they thought that Jezebel did as a ruler. However, we do know that they were like, me, I'm on your side, Jehu. This is what I believe that this is the Lord's provision. And so he said, throw her out. And so these three eunuchs, two to three eunuchs, were the ones who threw her out and who killed her and, and got her rid of, uh, of ruling in Israel. And so we find ourselves fast forwarding to Matthew chapter 21. And this is where we find our traditional Palm Sunday service looking into. <clears throat> it says this, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went away of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And immediately afterward, this is what's, this is beautiful. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them. 
My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. I think it's easy for us to remember as we go through years and years and years of being in in church and just being around. uh, I mean, you can go to just about any church and you'd probably realize that that just about everybody's going to be preaching on Palm Sunday passages similar to this or somewhere else in the gospel where it highlights it and then next week it's going to be easter sunday and they're going to preach about the death burial and resurrection of jesus just about everywhere there's a few exceptions where some people may be in a different series and feel like they want to do something else but for the most part if you attend church around this time of the year anywhere you're going to find that these passages are being preached and i think it's very easy for us To emphasize this, which this is extremely significant, but I feel like we will o- we over we overemphasize some of these things. Just like on Easter Sunday, we overemphasize the appearance of a cross, but we forget about the price that was made so that it could be also empty, and that the tomb could be empty, so that we could have the complete and total salvation that's given from Jesus Christ. And so this right here is amazing. I love that Cookie got these. Thank you, Cookie, for bringing these. Everybody, probably, you probably have a couple of these over in your, uh, in your seats. And this is, this is amazing to think about, that they did this. But if our only emphasis is just that they laid down some branches, or they laid their cloaks down, then we miss the point of what actually happened there. There was a declaration by the people who were in the presence of Jehu, Whenever Jehu was anointed as king, when God anointed Jehu to be king by sending his prophet to go ahead and anoint him with oil, and then in response to the word, in response to the recognition of Jehu as king, they laid down their cloak. Now, what's the importance of a cloak? Remember, in in ancient Israel, the way that they would signify many different aspects of your status or of your um, importance— it would be signified by the clothing that you wore or the colors that would be worn as well, too. Great significance. Especially if you're a general or if you're a commander or if you're someone in the, in the army camps. I mean, how many of you guys have, have served in the, in the armed forces? Yeah, they have what that signifies your importance? Yeah, they have rank. And you see the rank based off of certain patches and certain, uh, certain things that they mark themselves with by what they wear. If you are new to a specific, um, if you're new to a, to a specific destination, maybe you just, you just flew out to, uh, to a spot where, where the army is going to be located at, you recognize who's in charge and what the position of those people are based off of the colors, the patches, and the things that they wear. Am I, am I correct in saying that? Okay. So same thing here. They do this to, so you can recognize who are the people who are in charge. 
And so by what they did, and remember, we talked about this with David, right? In 2 Samuel chapter 9, when, when David removed his kingly clothing, and he was just standing there in his linens and his undies, and he, and he had those things away, he was signifying that he was not the king of Israel. It was God that was the one that he was submitted to as the conquered king. And so in these moments, these men removed their cloaks and they put them down at the feet so that whenever Jehu stepped and stood on those things, they showed that you are the one who we submit to. That's huge significance. Because anybody, and you could think about this too, within, within the realm of, of how, we're, how we are today, if someone is conspiring against the president of the United States, then there's, there's going to be some pretty harsh and pretty horrible things that could happen to that individual for trying to come against and murder the leader, correct? So by these military officials stating and pulling their cloaks off and throwing them down at Jehu's feet and saying, Jehu is king, they are now a part of a coup. They are now a part of a, of a people group who are saying, we are no longer in submission to this power, this ruler. We are submitting ourselves to you as our king. And then just like the activity of anybody who becomes king, they go through and they wipe away the remaining family members and anybody who can ever threaten to overthrow that kingdom, the new kingdom. They get rid of them. They get rid of the whole family tree, the whole family line. They rid themselves of them. This is also a very important reason why Jehu had to go and he had to get rid of Jezebel. Now, by looking at new rulership by that lens, we fast forward to Matthew 21. We see that Jesus is coming into the city. He's coming into Jerusalem. Again, the holy city. This is where the temple is located at, right? Very important place that people travel to in those days. So Jesus comes, sitting on the donkey, which is extremely important because it was prophesied, and we saw that in that passage Jesus quoted. If you look again in, the, in your little Bibles, you'll see there'll be little footnotes to tell you where that goes. Jesus comes into the city and people start to take their, the first thing is they said they took their cloaks. You remember seeing that? People took their cloaks and they laid it down. Others who couldn't grabbed palm branches and set those down. You know what a palm branch does for you? Anybody ever been in a tropical place where there are palm branches? You know, it's, you know what you usually see in different commercials that are showing you in some kind of a paradise location? When you have a palm tree, what are you people doing around the palm tree? They're sitting under it for shade, right? It's a covering. They use it to cool themselves off. And so these people were taking these branches. What is my covering? And I'm putting it down. Showing that Jesus is the one that can walk over top of the covering that provides me with the things that I need. Took their cloaks and saying, I'm submitting myself to you. Which is why the significance of them seeing ho singing Hosanna, son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
the recognition was that Jesus is now their ruler. This is a huge, 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 huge display that's being made in the holy city. Which then means, just like Jehu, he went into the gates of Jezebel's household and made sure that she was dethroned from that place. And he didn't even have to lift a finger to do that. He got rid of, 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 the, of the sons, but he didn't have to lift a finger with Jezebel. The recognition of the king in the room gave people the confidence to act in accordance with the new king. And so when Jesus walked into the temple, because we usually stop at that, at that, little, that little section, oh yay, they put palm branches down, they put a cloak down, woohoo! And we stop there. But when you continue, he went into the temple after that. Flipped the money changing tables. Got rid of all those who were around there. The reason why this was happening is because um, whenever King Herod built onto Zerubbabel's temple, if you guys remember any of the temple history, you know, they, there was a tabernacle with Moses um, and David. And then after that, David gave the instructions to Solomon to build a really big temple, and so then Solomon's temple is what we call it, was built. And then after that, um, there was a ransack, and they, they destroyed the temple. Uh, the Babylonians did as they came in and infiltrated. They took a lot of Jews, and then so that temple was destroyed. And then later on, there's a guy named Zerubbabel who put together a group of people, and it took a while for them to build the temple, but it was like really unassuming, and it wasn't super spectacular. Um, if you look into different history and literature, they say it was like the least special looking temple out of all the ones that had been built or been a part of Israel's history. And, uh, and then Herod, he was an evil, wicked man, but he wanted to try to get the Jews to like him, so he like put a ton of money. And part of his thing was he wanted to rival Solomon's temple and make it way cooler and better than Solomon's temple. And so he added riches and riches and riches and riches and riches to the process of building on top of Zerubbabel's temple. And so when he did that, it was a spectacle and a sight to see. He even expanded certain areas and created new avenues so that there could be some, uh, uh, some selling of different articles so that people didn't have to bring their own stuff. They can actually go there and buy different um, animals and things so they can offer a sacrifice. And that caused a specific type of commerce to be made so that Herod can also try to pay off some of the stuff that he had when he built his temple. So he was using it as a money-making money machine instead of the place and the purpose for which it was for, which was to glorify God and for his presence to dwell. And so when this was happening, I mean, Jesus walked in and was like, this is not according to the, to the words that were written and given by God to Moses and to David as far as what the temple's supposed to be for. And so he was ticked about it, got rid of that. This is supposed to be a place of prayer, not a place of, of thieves, not a place of commerce, not a place of making tons of money. This should not be a money-making machine should be a place where you lay down your burdens and you pray and you seek the Lord. The emphasis should be Jesus, not commerce. And so he came in and he, he drop-kicked idolatry in its face. Herod's emphasis was, I want to make money and I want to be known in front of people, not I want to give glory to God. And so he was attacking the thing that Herod, one of the things that Herod was really after, which was prideful.
Are we content with just seeing that there, there's activity that happened in, in the nation? Are we content with knowing that Asbury happened and that was really fun and, and awesome? Are we content with, uh, with knowing that there are you know, people being baptized by the droves in California right now? Are we content with knowing that, that people who have been using the church for manipulative purposes um, in great capacities are, are starting to be, are starting to have light shown on their intentions? Yay. Are we just joining in with that and you're just reading the latest article? Because that's what seems like it's the good thing to do, right? Yay. Is it, is it just fun and cool that we get to go to church on Sunday mornings and some of us on Wednesday nights or watch different things online because we have that stuff? Yay. Or is the significance of who I am, my identity, what I find my identity in, the things that I carry as burdens, the things that I, that I hold around, the things that I emphasize with every fiber of my being, that that needs to be taken off and laid down at the foot of Jesus as he comes in? Are we content with Jezebel just living as long as I'm still living? Or with the recognition of the transfer of authority from having sin running your life to having Jesus as Lord and Savior of all, offering me full salvation for all the stupid stuff that I could have ever done and have ever done and will do, realizing that that is great enough, more than enough, for me to also participate in ridding myself of Jezebel. Are we pursuing Jesus to the capacity that we're looking and trying to figure out if Jezebel is still working at some capacity in our lives? Manipulation, um, being really great at just being able to communicate to the point to where we can get around certain things because that's just what we've been able to do. It goes back, and I continuously go back to the, to the passage in, in Matthew where, where Jesus hits the Sermon on the Mount and he pinpoints the heart issue and not just the behaviors. Because be the behavior that we have is a result of our heart. It is not the result of our behavior. We behave certain ways because we perceive that that's the way that we should be behaving, or we feel like we're above the standard to the point where we can do whatever it is that we want to, and so that's fine. We need to be so, so, so careful and so intentional that we're looking at every single thing that we're doing, saying, and we're, I mean, shoot, this is something that, that I'm going through every single day and every single moment, and I don't get it right all the time. I fail a bunch. But it's the getting back to the place where I'm like, I put my coat back on. I need to put my cloak back down. <laughs> put it down. Quit picking it back up. Are we fine with the temple existing? Or are we, are we fine with idolatry existing as long as the temple is standing? Put that in whatever context you want to. That's as poetic as I can get on that point. Are we fine with corruption in our heart as long as we're not in trouble? 
The comfort of the flesh is, is a really, really horrible thing. The Holy Spirit should be our comforter, not the things that we perceive or think. We need to open up the Bible and see what it says we should believe instead of believing that the Bible should, should be translated in a specific way. And so I shouldn't be just satisfied throwing down a couple palm branches, saying, okay, I did my duty as Jesus walked by. I need to be extremely intentional. We need to be extremely intentional with are we honoring God, not just in, in, in throwing down a couple things as he walks by, but are we truly living as if he is the king? As if the kingdom of darkness is now no longer a part of my activity. I'm not, I'm not operating out of the kingdom of flesh. Again, blessed are the poor in spirit. Are we humble to a position to where we can be a part of the kingdom of heaven? Or are we too prideful to actually withstand the fact that it is not my kingdom that withstands and that holds up the world, but it's actually the kingdom of heaven that I need to be a part of? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You see, what we'll find next week is we'll go through a process of looking at what Jesus did, and then when you see him on the cross, you notice that there are only two individuals left. Out of the many that threw down branches, who threw down their coats, out of the ones that followed him into Jerusalem, after he performed many miracles before this, you read in, in Matthew chapter 20, there was a bunch of stuff that happened that was pretty amazing. So there was a huge amount of people that were following him into the city, and then he got on the donkey and people started laying down those palm branches in their cloaks, and it was amazing. Then he walked into the temple and all those things happened, and the Pharisees even saw it. So he had a huge crowd that was paying attention to the things that he was doing. The people were shouting Hosanna in the highest. However, out of all of those people, there were only two who were left at the cross. It's easy when you feel the stirring of the spirit or when you're, you know, in an environment where everybody else is also very excited to follow after Jesus. But in the midst of trial... I mean, I can't imagine seeing Jesus on that whipping post thinking, I just saw him on a donkey riding through, everybody throwing down their stuff, and he is now on a whipping post. And I cannot, like, I can't even recognize if that still is Jesus or not. Then putting him up on the cross. His own disciples scattered and scared. cannot be content with just showing up. I mean, shoot, it's hard enough for people to just show up sometimes. Let alone just being content with, I just showed up, that's all I did. Yay! I show up to work every day. We cannot be content with just showing up. It's not showing up 
So Jesus is asking you today. He's asking for your life. Maybe ask for your life. And that requires a lot more than just throwing a branch down. It requires a lot more than just throwing a cloak down. We look at that now with, without the, the understanding of the significance of throwing that cloak down. Which is why I bring up that passage in 2 Kings. We are supposed to be a part of a great and powerful, mighty army of the kingdom of heaven. Ahab and Jezebel has ruled far too long in places where the light should be shining so bright. If we truly are laying down our cloaks at the feet of the king and saying, I'm with you, just like they said, Jehu is king. You know what they did? As soon as that happened, they mounted up on their horses. They mounted up on the chariots. And they took off. And they went to have business. Business had to be taken care of. Are we mounting up on our horses figuratively? Are we, are we getting on the things that we have been gifted and challenged with? Are we going into the places that we are most influential in? And are we really displaying the kingdom of heaven? Showing that Jezebel is no longer our ruler. We're not talking to Jezebel. I'm not talking to Ahab. I'm not talking to these, to these sons. What is peace whenever there's idolatry in the nation? Blessed are the peacemakers. You know what that means? Again, going back to it, I'm going to hammer this until I can't hammer it anymore. Peacemakers are not people who just walk around and peace is just automatically there. Peacemakers are people who walk into chaotic situations and then facilitate peace. We have to be peace facilitators, not just walk around and think, oh, just because I'm in the room, everything's good now. It's not how it works. Sure, there's a presence that comes in the room with you because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but you cannot just remain, you cannot just be um, satisfied with knowing that you're just in a room. The eunuchs were in the room with Jezebel, and they sided with Jehu. However, it took them using their hands to throw her out the window to rid her of her authority and her place in that, in that location. They had to act on what they were called into. So we have to also be very particular about being people of activity, not just being people of passivity. I'm not saying we're going to go to war and we have to do anything. To, no, this is not a violent thing. It's a spiritual violence, absolutely. This is not something that we go and we just start destroying people because it's not people that we're against. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Paul says we wrestle against, it's against principalities, rulers, and darkness of this world. So we have to be girded up and we have to be very available and, and understand what Scripture is calling us into. That's why it's important to have the word written on your heart. Psalm 119, the entire chapter of Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the entire Bible, talks mainly about obeying the word and knowing the word. Over and 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 over again. We, we cannot be effectively active Christians if we are not reading the word and obeying the word. And the word is, is manifest in Jesus Christ. And we can see all the way from the Old Testament as it points to Jesus and the New Testament as it reflects Jesus. We have to be intentional about this.
That's why we have to have our households in order. We have to be, we have to be people who are intentional about being with our spouses and understanding and spending time with our spouses. As a man who is probably the most busy person that I've ever met in my life by myself, it's very important to be intentional. And I fail at that as well. The conversations Danielle and I have, got to be intentional about when we're with family. Got to be intentional. And then also, when you're intentional with your spouse, then when your children are growing up in that environment, then they know that they can, they can not only not pull one over, the, not pull the wool over on one of their parents because they're both connected, but also they'll have a great representation of what it's like to live in a household and to be a good husband or be a good, uh, good wife, how to be a good father, or how to be a good mother. If you're not connected and you're not doing well there, then it's going to be very difficult for them to live a lifestyle that lives that out either. That's how you start breaking generational curses in a very practical sense. There's a spiritual side of that, absolutely. But I feel like we have a pretty good grasp on knowing that. It's the practicality of that, that we have to be great at walking that out as well. We cannot just be so spiritually minded that we're no earthly good. Fully submitting to the Lord in every aspect. Bless you. You didn't say watermelon, did you? Fully, fully, sorry, I'm, I, a lot of tension in the room. I just break it a little bit. There you go. Say watermelon. Um, we have to be fully engaged with Scripture to the point to where we're not just good Christians at church. We have to be great believers in Jesus Christ in every aspect. If you give your life to Jesus, that means it's your life, not just your Sunday morning time. Otherwise, you're going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. That is not my intention. I don't know about you, but that's not my intention. So we need to get our houses in order. Then we need to represent, and when we can get our houses in order, then guess what we can do too? We can be great representatives to our friends and to those we work with. You know why? Because it's being lived out in your house right now. And then as that's being shown, then guess what? You can then do that to people that you don't know. Because the hardest thing to do is to have complete cohesiveness inside the household. When you get that done, then it's going to be a lot easier to be able to do that with your friends because you're actually living that out in truthfulness and honesty. So then your friends have that. And then when you have complete strangers, that's way easier because you don't have to worry about having a, a very close relationship with them. And then guess what? It's super easy to do that with people who are your enemies. Because you've already taken care of all the stuff that's, that's happened before then. Your identity is not found in, in their hatefulness towards you or their despite for you or anything like that. You already know where your identity is from. It's found in Jesus. It's exercised in the family. And then it's shown forth in your friends. And then it's given to the neighbors. And then now you can then bring those who are your so-called enemy into repentance and salvation because they can see the evidence of Jesus working in your life. But it's very easy for people who you call your enemies to be able to, to point fingers and shoot arrows at you whenever you feel like you don't have stuff taken care of just within yourself, let alone your, your household, let alone your friends, let alone your strangers. Because when we can't treat those people with, with the type of love and respect that we need to, then it's going to be very easy for them to say there is no God because he's not evident in your life. Lay down your cloaks. Lay down your cloaks. I'm laying down my cloak. Do you want to pick it back up or do you want to put it on? Keep it down there. You don't need it. David said, I will be even more indignified than this. Palm Sunday. It's a great reminder of what we get to do in laying down our lives. 
laying down our identity and our significance, knowing that we can pick up our cross now and follow after Jesus as we get to recall and remember next week what he did by going to the cross, by dying just like we need to die to self. And we are raised with Christ Jesus and seated in heavenly places. Let's stand. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your goodness, for your grace. Thank you for everything that you've done for us, even in, in, in the midst of our misunderstandings and the ways that we don't always follow through with what your word asks us to. Father, help us to walk out in true conviction and holiness, which you've, which you've called us into. Lord, help us to lay our cloaks down. Lord, we don't just want to be so passive to think that you have to lift our hands every single time that something has to happen. But Lord, let us be so full of your word and so aware of your voice that it's easy for us to say yes and obey, even when there are ridiculous and, and absurd requests that we feel like are coming from your end. But Lord, help us to follow in, in obedience so that we can see your name glorified, your name lifted up on high, and so that we can see that it is you who is our king and that we are not the kings. That it's you who has full authority and that we need to remain humble. Thank you so much for flipping those money tables, knowing that this is not about money. Thank you for getting rid of certain things to show that idolatry can still exist in a temple, in our lives as a temple, and we need you to completely come in and infiltrate so that we can have full surrender. Lord, help us to be like those eunuchs, fully aware that the king has entered the property, has entered in this place, and we need to kick out anything that is in complete and total disagreement Lord, help us follow after you with everything that we have. Help us walk in total submission and be quick to repent. Let us not tarry in repentance, but let us be quick to, to hit our knees and ask for forgiveness. We love you and we thank you. Thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that you made on the cross, Jesus. Thank you that you have given us every opportunity to surrender and to give ourselves the same way that you have so that we could be living sacrifices, wholly acceptable and pleasing unto you. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. If you would like prayer, um, feel free to come on up here. We'd love to pray with you guys. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Be prepared to take, uh, take communion. Hopefully, we'll see you guys at John and Chelsea's wedding on Saturday. It'll be wonderful to see you guys there. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.